Ladies from Shy Podcast. Today you are with just myself, Lydia Fizier, and it is a solo episode, and we are chatting all about proximal hamstring tendinopathy, uh, otherwise known as high hamstring tendinopathy, or simply a pain in the butt, because that is exactly what it is. It is a pain in your backside, and I'm imagining if you've clicked onto this episode, it is because you might have had it before, or maybe you've heard about it before, or maybe you're just a regular listener and you're a committed fan and you're just keen to hear uh, a little bit more about proximal hamstring tendinopathies, uh, or maybe you just want to reduce your risk of injuries in general. Now, uh, before we get into it, welcome to the show. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're a new listener, then thank you so much for tuning in. We have weekly episodes and every week is a little bit different. Every alternating week we have a guest usually an exercise professional or a coach and they chat all about their area of expertise and every second week it is a solo episode and Soph does one I do another and as Soph is a running coach she normally chats about training prepping for races uh, training plans how to prepare for your first 5k 10k etc and I normally chat about injuries because I'm a physio and that's what I chat about all day every day and I'd like to provide some value to you. So that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's get straight into it, guys. Proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Now, it's definitely not the most, I think, thought of injury when we think about running injuries. I think typically we get knees and ankles. They're probably the more common ones or knees and Achilles, um, feet, all sorts of stuff like that. And the pain right up in your butt is probably not the most common one. And to be completely honest, I'd never experienced any uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy pain until quite recently. Although my story is a little bit different. So I'm not going to use myself as an example until later on in the episode. Uh, but it is certainly something that I do actually see in the clinic quite a lot. And as a runner, we are definitely at a greater risk of it compared to other activities or other sports. Uh, I should say, though, it's definitely not just a running injury. Uh, it is pretty common amongst um, hurdlers, so sprinters, um, soccer players, any sort of kicking sports, um, and also yogis. So I'll talk a little bit about why that is um, in a little bit. But uh, it's probably worth noting at the start of this episode that there's not super uh, large amount of evidence and research into proximal hammy tendinopathies. There's certainly a lot more for Achilles, patellofemoral pain, ITB, like other running injuries seem to be way more research, but there's definitely not as much for proximal hammy tendons. So it's a little bit unfortunate, but there's definitely a lot of basic principles that we can apply. And if you guys have already listened to my recent uh, injury chats on the podcast, we've spoken a lot about tendons. So I'm hoping that if you guys have listened to those, you'll have a bit of an understanding about the general principles of tendon management. So we're definitely going to be doing a bit of revision today. We're going to be talking about some basic tendon rehab principles and then we're going to talk about how they apply for the proximal hammy tendon and then some more sort of specific things to consider for that hammy tendon and for the rest of this episode I'm just going to talk about the hammy tendon as the hammy um, because proximal hammy tendinopathy is a really big (laughs) a big lot of words and it'll be easier to say the hammy or the high hammy all right so let's kick off with the most important thing what is it? So basically a tendinopathy is when we have an injury to a tendon. As I said, check out the previous episodes around tendon pain and tendinopathy because I go into a little bit more detail about what it actually is. But 
Basically, tendons are connective tissue. They connect muscle to bone. And our hamstring is made up of three muscles. And then they all sort of go into a tendon and they all insert up in our ischial tuberosity, which is basically at the bottom of our pelvis. And, well, not basically. It is the bottom of our pelvis. And it is that bony bit on the bottom of our bottom. It is our sit bone. So if you're uh, running, um, I guess you could pop your hand on your butt and sort of see if you can find that uh, bony part of your bottom, but might be a little bit hard while you're running. If you're sitting in the car and driving, maybe you're at traffic lights and you're stopped, you can pop your hand underneath your bottom and you can sort of feel where that bony part is of your butt and that is your ischial tuberosity and that is where your hamstrings insert. So a little bit of anatomy 101. Now, typically proximal hamitendinopathy or hamitendin pain, it feels like a pain in the butt, literally, and it feels quite deep. Probably if you sort of like poke around the top, you're not really going to feel much if you're just poking around there because it is deep. Um, and it sort of just feels, it's relatively localized. So the pain should be pretty much just in that area. Um, we're not expecting it to be going all the way down the leg or in the back or different positions. We can get referred pain and we can get pain in other areas, but for the most part, it's usually pretty localized. And this sort of pain is going to be usually worse when it's cold. So once you've cooled down, Okay, so that means that when you're running, just like any tendons, they usually are a lot happier when we're warm. So warmed up in our run. Um, I mean, the weather can have a little bit of an impact, but usually like when that muscle is warm. So when you've actually a few Ks into your run, normally feel pretty good, but post run, you're going to be a bit sore. Uh, And they are a non-traumatic onset, which means that this isn't like you've run and you sprinted and suddenly had this sharp pain. That would more likely be a hamstring tear. Uh, What we're going to uh, be expecting for a hemitendinopathy or any tendinopathy is that it's a gradual onset and it's a non-traumatic onset. Uh, with most tendons, we usually can get a little bit of morning pain or morning stiffness, but we don't normally see as much of it with the hammy tendon. And I don't know exactly why. I'm guessing just because of the position. Um, typically, you're not going to be loading it all that much, just sort of getting out of bed and walking around. It's probably not until we're putting it into hip flexion or deep, deeper flexion positions, compression positions, or running if that's what is aggravating it. Yeah, this episode is really going to be targeting runners. So uh, there is definitely a lot more considerations outside or beyond of what I'm chatting about in this episode, but I'm really going to be focusing on the running specific things for the proximal handme tendinopathy. Um, but yeah, as I said, common in soccer players, hurdlers, uh, ballerinas, yogis, uh, it definitely happens even in the sedentary population, people who sit a lot, office workers, uh, and even just me explaining those uh, people who tend to get it or that population, that might give you a little bit of clues about how it's aggravated and what happens. So the first step is if you are having pain in any of those positions or you think this might be you, um, the pain's worse, post-activity, warms up, there wasn't any traumatic event, it's just gradually come on um, and you know it is in that position right where your hammy tendons insert. Then the first thing you're going to do is actually try and get a diagnosis because there are certain things that we do want to rule out that are in a similar area. So we could have lumbar spine pain that gets referred to the butt. We could have some nervy pain. We could have a glute tear. We could have bursitis. We could have a piriformis syndrome. Uh, There's a lot of different things. We could have a pelvic stress fracture. We could have some hip joint type conditions. Um, there There are a few things that are worth actually ruling out. Uh, Now, let's say you've gone, you've seen a physio and they've diagnosed you. Let's assume you've done that. And then we can move on with actually into the management. Um, And before we talk about the management though, we're going to chat a bit about the anatomy because 
if I had someone come in and, you know, we've done our diagnosis, we figured out what's going on. I think it's really helpful for patients and anyone experiencing this pain to actually have a good understanding about the anatomy because that is really going to be key in the management. And I also think that when people understand why they're doing certain exercises, why they're avoiding certain things and, you know, the process of that rehab, why it is the way it is, we're going to be much more able to stay committed because you really deeply understand the purpose. I think all my episodes, I always find a way to bring it back to purpose. Uh, It is very important for a whole bunch of reasons. All right. So just coming back to the anatomy of our hamstring and its function. So hamstring, as you guys probably have a bit of an understanding, it has two main functions. Number one, it is to flex the knee. So to bend our knee and number two, to extend the hip. Now there's three hamstring muscles. There's the biceps femoris, semitendinosus and semimembranosus. Now biceps fem is a little bit on the outside of our leg and it does those same things, flex the knee, extend the hip, and actually helps a little bit to um, externally rotate that leg when we're in a slightly flexed position. Whereas our semitendinosus and semimembranosus are sitting more on the inside of our, our leg, our leg, our leg, our leg, our leg, our hammy. And they actually help with a little bit of internal rotation when that knee is in that slightly flexed position. I wouldn't worry too much about that um, rotation, but basically three muscles and they all insert up on that ischial tuberosity, which as I spoke about before, uh, that is the bony part of our bottom. And then they do cross over our knee joint. And because they cross over knee joint, it means that they can work to flex the knee. So that's the actions. Um, and they all basically insert on the butt. So when I say the butt, uh, bottom of the pelvis, which is really important because that is essentially where we have our injury. It's that tendon attachment to the ischial tuberosity. Now, because there's three muscles, there's also three tendons, which means that we can actually have the tendinopathy in any of those three tendons. And you're probably not going to really know unless you actually get an ultrasound. There are a few specific tests that we can do in the clinic to get a little bit more of an idea. Um, Although it's pretty hard on palpation uh, because as I said, it's quite a deep spot um, and they all sort of bunched in together. So if we're sort of pressing around that issue of tuberosity and and it's just a bit tender, it's going to be hard to say exactly where it is. Um, Thankfully, all those muscles do work in a very similar action. So the rehab is going to be pretty similar uh, depending where it is. It's probably not going to change a whole lot. Now, obviously we know it extends the hip and it flexes the knee, but what does that actually mean in running? Now, The main part in running is really going to be about that terminal swing phase. So when we run, um, we, you know, we're up in the air, we bring our knee up sort of into that flexed uh, hip position, and then we start straightening out our leg and then the leg comes down, hits the ground, and then we sort of push through. Uh, Terminal swing is sort of the last part of the swing phase. So when our leg is up in the air, that last swing phase where we're sort of Got our leg up in front of us, our hip is flexed, our leg is starting to straighten out. And what the hamstring is doing in this position, it's trying to slow that down. So if the hamstring wasn't working, we would basically just like <laughs> fling out and we'd and we'd lose control and our leg would go completely straight. And you know, we wouldn't really be able to control our movement. So hamstrings work eccentrically, which means the muscle is getting lengthened, but it's loading. So Muscles engaged, um, it's not a concentric contraction, it's the opposite of that. So instead of it getting shorter, it's getting longer, but it is under a a really large amount of load. Um, So part of this is also just helping to sort of stabilize and prepare that leg for hitting the ground. Um, 
Very good. So then when we hit the ground, um, the hamstrings are going to help to sort of facilitate that hip extension. So we hit the ground um, and then we start to get a contraction to start getting ready into that hip extension. So um, a little bit of just a stabilization as it hits the ground and then starting to prepare for that hip extension. Uh, And then just lastly, the hamstrings do actually work to assist the gastrox to extend the knee just a little bit during the takeoff phase for running. So um, just a little bit there. I think though, probably worth, worth saying that with all of that, I wouldn't get too caught up and think, oh goodness, like, um, do I need to like adjust or be really aware of all these positions? I think, the main the main one that it is really doing is that terminal swing phase and for the proximal hammy tendon um, another really big part of it getting loaded is going to be on uphill running which we're going to talk a little bit more about later Um, but just really good to have an understanding of what the hamstring does because obviously in the gym we can sort of work that hamstring doing like a hammy curl it's pretty obvious but when we run yes we do go into that you know heel butt movement but the truth is it's mostly loaded in an eccentric position. So if we're wanting to be really specific about our movements, that is not actually uh, how it functions when we run. So really important to note. Now, the sort of people who get tendinopathy are the people who have overloaded this hamstring tendon. So we've overloaded the areas that it's working. Um, and typically that's going to look like either an overall increase in training volume or an overall or a hamstring decrease in capacity. Um, or if we sort of break it apart a little bit more, often what that might look like is someone who has increased their speed work or maybe increased their heel work. So speed work, obviously, the faster we go, the harder the hamstring has to work to decelerate as we're in that terminal swing. Um, and then on our heel work, uh, the more hills we do, the harder that hamstring has to work to sort of pull ourselves up the hill. So when we are initially contacting the ground, pulling up the hill. Uh, and then another part of that too is also when we go up a hill, we get into a little bit more hip flexion, which I'm going to explain very soon. Now, outside of our general training demands, because we know that with tendons, it really is a game of load and capacity. And I've spoken about this so many times on all the previous episodes. And so hopefully this sounds like a just, you know, a broken record. But if you're new here or if you forgot from previous episodes, tendon management is all about load. So Essentially, we need our capacity and load to be in a nice balance. We need our capacity to match the load that we're giving our body. And load is like how much running we're doing, how much speed work we're doing, how much heel work we're doing. Um, it could also just include general things throughout your day. So like, um, you know, what your work involves, like you're on your feet all your day, you're doing um heaps of like hinging and bending over so you know for a hammy tendon there'll be certain movements throughout our day that might just load it a little bit more uh, and then our capacity is about what can that tendon actually handle so if we do more than our tendon is used to then we're likely to end up with tendon pain and that applies across the board so for patella tendons uh, achilles tendon uh, and, and hamstring tendon uh, both distal and proximal But what we uh, do need to really try and pay attention to is what sort of specific things in your history actually have spiked or uh, started this injury. So it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. And maybe you're going to go back through your Strava and you go, oh my goodness, like I'd never done any speed work. And all of a sudden I started doing heaps of speed work three times a week 
and I'd never done it before. Or you might see that you start adding in heels a couple times a week or once a week. Or you might be like, oh my goodness, I've had four weddings in the last three weeks and I've not had enough sleep. I've been really tired. I've been training on tight muscles, sore muscles, sleep deprived. And reality is the capacity of my body to handle the load that I normally handle is just not there. And unfortunately, that is just the reality. We are not robots. We're not machines. We can't always handle what we think we can handle. So um, sometimes it's just a, a, you know, having a tendon pain is just a really good reminder and check in to be like, oh, well, I, I, I've sort of overcooked it a little bit or made a bit of a training error and it's okay. These things happen. And I think it's just a little bit part of being a runner. Um, but if you can really go through your training diary, go through your regular diary and see if we can flesh out what specifically has caused this, because that's going to help in the rehab. Now, This is the benefit of seeing a physio because we know specific things to look for and specific questions to ask and we'll be able to get to the bottom of this probably or possibly a little bit quicker than the average person, which means that we can get on with our rehab a little bit quicker. Um, A few other things that might um, have a bearing, typically as we get older, our tendons take a bit longer to adapt, so that might make you a little bit more susceptible. If you are female, you're a little bit more likely to have this. If you um, have some sort of proprioceptive deficiency, so a little bit of balance trouble with the hip or the knee or the ankle on that side, Uh, history of sciatic nerve irritation on that side, Uh, history of other lower limb injury. These are all things that could sort of be factors about, you know, why you might be at increased risk to have this injury, Uh, but they're definitely not absolutes. All right, so let's talk a little bit now about just tendons generally. Typically, there are two sort of main types of tendinopathies. We have mid portions and then we have insertional. Now, a mid portion means that the tendon injury or the tendinopathy is in the middle of the tendon, as the name suggests. Okay, so tendons connect muscles to bones and it's going to be somewhere in the middle of that tendon. The other type of tendinopathy we have is an insertional, which means that the where the the part where the tendon is injured, angry, sore, um, maladaptive, is actually quite close to the bone. So it's quite close to where that tendon is attaching on the bone. Doesn't mean the bone is injured, but it just means it is where the tendon is inserting on the bone. Now, proximal hammy tendon tendinopathy, I should say, or high hammy tendinopathy, is an insertional type tendinopathy. Now. With insertionals, there's a whole extra layer of management that we have to sort of pay attention to and manage because they are susceptible to compression irritation. And what that means is when we're in certain positions, uh, and I'll explain those positions in a second, the tendon actually gets compressed against the bone. And we know that tendons do not like compression. So every time we compress that tendon on the bone, it's going to be really angry. So a mid portion doesn't usually get compressed on the bone. So we don't have to worry about that. So because it is in this position, and uh, if you followed me along for that anatomy part, maybe you can do a little bit of a Google and you Google proximal um, hammy tendon, and you'll be able to have a little bit of a look. And you'll see that it is, you know, right up against that bone. And what I want you to try and imagine is how could that tendon get compressed against that bone? What sort of positions might compress it? Now, first one is pretty obvious. Uh, sitting is going to compress it. Um, but other things that will compress it too is hip flexion. So anytime we get our knee up towards our chest, our hip goes into more flexion, which means that that tendon is going to get a little bit more compressed against that bone. So these are things that we're going to need to avoid, which definitely complicates the rehab. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why a lot of people say that this is the worst tendinopathy to get because 
it is literally a pain in the butt and it hurts when you sit down. So it's very frustrating because you know, uh, I think other injuries you can sort of offload and like take a seat and sort of let them rest and recover. And they might be sore when you get up and you sort of shake about and then walk off and you feel a bit better. But with a proximal hammy tendopathy, you literally can't even just sit down for prolonged periods of time because it typically is very painful. Now, if you don't have pain when you sit down, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a proximal hammy tendinopathy. It's not what I would use to diagnose the issue, but is very commonly associated with and Possibly if you don't have pain there, it might just mean that your hammy tendon isn't as far along the, uh, I guess, progression or like it hasn't gotten as bad yet. Or maybe it's just that you've rehabbed it quite well. Or potentially where the actual tendon is irritated, uh, if we were to, you know, go in there and, and actually have a look with like an ultrasound or an MRI, we'd see that it's actually not quite in a position that's going to get as compressed when we sit. Um, or maybe we're not sitting uh super upright maybe we're sitting really slouched and and taking our weight off and leaning to the other side you know there could be a few different things there so definitely not absolute now in terms of how long is this going to take to get our hammy tendinopathy better well unfortunately it's likely to be around three months and quite frequently is a bit longer hammy tendinopathies do tend to be a little bit slower responding compared to other ones compared to like achilles patella um perineal all that jazz and my perspective on that is just because of the compression and the fact that it is quite hard to avoid those aggravating factors. And possibly another one is that we don't have heaps and heaps of research. So maybe there's going to be new and improved ways to manage them in the next couple of years. And we might realize that there's something else that we've missed that we've done wrong, or maybe there's slightly different variation of an exercise that we'll be able to start doing, which will be far more improved and far more efficient. But basically any tendon typically three months is that minimum sort of remodeling time frame so we know that tendons do just take a little bit of time and we're not going to expect to have them you know completely pain-free within or sorry completely healed within just a couple of weeks in saying that pain wise we're probably likely to get on top of our pain within that two to four weeks uh, at least the the you know really strong pain because it is okay to run through a little bit of pain with a tendinopathy. And again, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So like any tendon injury, which we've spoken about lots of times, and hopefully you guys remember, uh, it's the first step is all about identifying what your load tolerance is. And if you see a physio, they're going to help you with this. Um, but basically what your load tolerance is, is trying to determine how much that hamstring can handle load wise at the moment. And the way we do this is usually... Um, using a visual analog scale to determine our pain. So from zero being no pain at all, 10 being the worst pain you can imagine. And what we're going to do is actually rate our pain at the start of a run, during a run, and a couple hours post-run, or sorry, better than a couple hours post-run, the next day, 24 hours post-run. And the idea about that is we're getting a feel for how it feels at the start when usually it's a little bit sore, how it feels when it's warmed up, which is usually when it's the best. And then 24 hours after, which gives an indication of did we do too much or did we do not enough or have we nailed it and we've done the right amount. Now, with any tendon injury, it is completely safe. And some researchers and some practitioners would even actually recommend that we're trying to hit between one, two and three out of 10 pain at the most the next day. Now, everyone's going to have a different amount that they're willing to run with. I would say that those are pretty uh, reasonable numbers. I don't think one, two 
or three out of 10 is that uh, hopefully not that dramatic. If zero is nothing at all and 10 is the worst pain you can imagine. And the idea behind this is that tendons like to be loaded. So absolute rest is actually completely uh, contraindicated. So it is something that we say absolute no to. Like we do not want to completely rest the tendon because if we rest the tendon completely, we actually get deconditioning of the whole lower limb and deconditioning specifically of that tendon. So anytime we have complete rest, it is really not a good thing for that tendon. So if we can actually keep running, but modify how we run so that we get that pain down to that one, two, or three, then we are able to build capacity with some exercises that I give you and gradually increase the amount that we run, get back to how we were running pre-injury. And whilst that pain level is going to stay nice and low and stable and eventually just drop down and down and down until it basically is completely gone all. Now, hopefully we're going to get a big reduction in pain within the first couple of weeks, but for that end stage healing, we're really looking at 12 weeks for a minimum because that is unfortunately just how long tendons can take to remodel. So definitely if you are getting this pain, doesn't mean you're going to be in pain for that long, but it would likely suggest that throughout the commitment to your rehab is going to be really important for getting it under control and then preventing it coming back in the future. Okay, cool. So we've identified our low tolerance, you know, we've um, run 10Ks and we get, let's say, you know, four out of 10 pain. And then the next day it shoots up to six out of 10 pain. That's going to be a little bit too much load. So maybe what we do, we have two days off. We go for a run again. This time we try 8Ks because we're trying to find the most amount that we can do whilst getting our pain under control. Um, You do 8Ks. The pain is only a two out of 10 at the start and then it drops to zero when you run. And then the next day it's that four or five out of 10 pain. So unfortunately, we're going to have to drop it down again. So we have a few days off. We go for another run. And this time we only run 6Ks and... We have one out of 10 pain at the start, it drops down to zero, and then the next day we've got one out of 10 pain again in the morning. Now, that would be really nice because we know that our pain didn't get any worse 24 hours later after our run, so it handled our run really well. And we're within that one to three out of 10 pain bracket, so absolutely fantastic effort. We know that six out of 10, or sorry, six Ks is now our our load tolerance, so six Ks is a run that we can um, repeat. Now, depending where you're at, depending what your previous running history is and depending on, I guess, yeah, pretty much your previous running history and what you've been doing sort of leading up to this pain, I would probably encourage day on day off running at the start if we are in a lot of pain. If we're feeling pretty good and we're keeping that pain low and stable, then we could probably do, you know, everyday running or whatever it is that you're normal Uh, running routine is but keeping it that 6ks and then obviously the goal is as rehab progresses we're going to start to increase that volume just a little bit now with every tendon it is all about deloading and reloading now as i said identify your load tolerance step one and then deloading down to that point that you can tolerate the load and then we want to start reloading back up and this process could take up to 12 weeks now When we say deloading, I've spoken just about reducing our running volume, but other ways that we can deload could actually be reducing our heel running or it could be about reducing our speed. Now, personally, um, when I've had, so for a little bit of context, I've got a bit of a perineal niggle at the moment. Now, when I say niggle, I would say a perineal tendinopathy and it's a little bit sore. When I get up out of bed, what would I say it was this morning? Maybe like a two? 
a one or a two walking around. Uh, my first K today, it was probably like a 0.5 or a one. And then I didn't feel it at all. And then obviously I'm going to check in tomorrow morning, see how it feels when I walk around, see how it feels when I start to jog and to see how it goes. Now I'm happy to start jogging um, tomorrow, definitely, because I've pretty much been managing this for the last week and I've had it before. I normally can manage it pretty well. But I guess what I'm saying is that this is something that, you know, this pain scale is something you can use all the time. And it's actually pretty helpful for runners when we're dealing with tendinopathies because it applies to all different areas. So having a good understanding of, how it feels during the run or like at the start when you're cold the first few k's and then once you're warmed up and then 24 hours after because 24 hours after is really that true test of did we do too much or did we hit the right amount Um, and don't be afraid to have a little bit of pain so one two and three is perfectly acceptable it's more about is it spiking when we add running volume all right so that's talking about how we're going to adjust our running Uh, another one you can do is split up your Uh, running volume over the day so let's say you normally do uh, 10ks in the morning what you might do is do 5ks in the morning and 5ks in the afternoon so you're still getting your 10ks in um, but we're going to try and split it up to see if your tendon can handle that a little bit better Uh, now that is going to work for some people and not for everyone Uh, other ones that we need to be paying attention to is all the sort of load that we're getting incidentally so the things that you're doing or positions that you're in at work, um, are you sitting for prolonged periods of time? Are you driving for prolonged periods? Uh, are you Have you got a particular activity that you just do around the house? Like for proximal hammy tendinopathy, things like reaching down and putting our shoes on, like bending over at our hips. Um, some people sit down to put their shoes on. Some people sort of wobble around in one leg and they bring their knee up to their chest. Uh, depending on how you do it, there might be a position where you're sort of poking your butt back, getting your hamstring on a bit of stretch and bringing that knee up towards the chest and that is going to compress that tendon against the bone and we know that it's not going to like that so if there's things that are happening throughout the day we want to try and eliminate or deload or minimize those as much as possible because it's all about mono it's all about load management with the tendon so if there are little things throughout the day that we can just slightly reduce then we're going to decrease that load and we're going to make that tendon a little bit happier now it doesn't mean that sitting is forever going to be bad or uh, poking your bottom out and sort of hinging over at your hips to, you know, put put your shoes on or um, shave your legs or whatever it is, is forever a bad thing. It just means that at the moment, it's going to irritate that tendon. But the goal is, of course, to get back to it. Now, other ones could be some stuff that you do in the gym. So maybe you're doing a lot of squatting or a lot of lunging. Now, again, these movements aren't terribly or inherently bad forever, but they're just things that might irritate, especially if we're getting into that really deep squat, because again, deep squat, we get into hip flexion. And when we're in hip flexion, that tendon presses up the bone, so it's a little bit aggravating. Uh, Same with the deep lunge. So for example, myself, I actually had a proximal hamstring tear uh i think 12 weeks ago now or 11 weeks ago now so i'm pretty much at that end range and range end stage and i'm sort of finally at like max depth for my squats max depth for my lunges but that was something that i had to build back up into my program quite gradually because that deep position is going to put a little bit more stretch on the hamstring tendon and compress it into the bone which it's not going to love uh Yeah. And then, yeah, driving. So just really monitoring, like if you have a lot of driving in your week, like, you know, you might be reducing your running volume, but maybe you've got this work trip coming up and you're going to be doing more driving. So 
that's something that we want to try and minimize or adjust. A little uh, hot tip for your driving. What you can do is actually get a towel, fold it up and sort of try and make it like one to two inches sort of thick and basically sit on it, but try and have your ischial tuberosities over the back. So they're actually floating a little bit in the air, which means that they're not going to be getting the same compression that they normally would on that firm surface of a chair. Um, Other ones you can do if that's too awkward is... I guess just not sit on a really hard chair because a hard chair is going to be a little bit more painful. A few other ones, general stretching. Uh, tendons do not like stretching. So please, please, please do not stretch your hamstring tendon or just any hamstring stretching right now, at least not in the early stages of rehab. And then we also don't want to massage or do any sort of trigger ball work right into that deep, painful butt area. I'm happy for you to do some soft tissue work or some foam roll work down from like, you know, back behind the knee up to like almost at that area where it's really sore, but definitely not right over that area. So if someone thinks that they can massage it out, that is unfortunately completely wrong and you're going to make your pain a lot worse and delay recovery. So make sure no one tries to massage that out. Uh, okay, cool. So I think they're all the things that are sort of going to aggravate it. We've got a bit of an idea about identifying our load tolerance, that pain scale. You know, the whole idea is that we're going to deload it and then reload it. Now, at the very start, it's just really all about settling the symptoms. So trying to get that initial settling is really key because if we don't get that initial settling, then we can't sort of get onto our strength exercises, which are going to increase the capacity of that tendon. Now, once we have settled it, the first sort of phase is all going to be about strengthening, but in a non-aggravating type position. So the best way to do this is going to be isometrics. And isometrics are when you hold a position for a length of time, 45 to 60 seconds, and it's going to load that hamstring, but it's not going to be lengthening or contracting. So for the hamstring, Probably one of my favorite ones is going to be a glute bridge hold. So holding for 45 seconds, three to five rounds, and you can do this multiple times throughout the day. That's too easy. We can do a long lever version of this. That's too easy. Again, we can progress to a single leg long lever version. Now, if you don't know what any of these exercises are, uh, probably best to Google them. Single leg long lever hamstring bridge, but basically lying on your back, and knees are bent, but your legs are, yeah, the knee is bent, but it's a, a little bit straighter than how you do a normal sort of hip thrust or glute bridge. So straighten it out around 45 degrees, and then you are squeezing your butt and hammy and lifting your hips up off the ground. Single leg is going to get a bit more glute working as well, which is totally fine and totally good, but it is just going to be that bit harder for the hamstring. So that's phase phase one. It's all about that isometric. So we're trying to put the hamstring in a position that's pretty happy. So we're not getting it into deep flexion, keeping it in sort of a relatively neutral slash going into that hip extension position where it's going to feel pretty happy and calm. Now to move on to each phase, it's really just about can we do these exercises um, without pain or with the pain in that scale that I said, ones, twos, maybe a three. And we don't want to see any increase in symptoms the next day. I like to do my hammy exercises day on, day off, because that means that we're going to get three to four times a week and we can actually go pretty hard and heavy. And with that hard and heaviness, it means that we're going to get the maximal adaptation, but then we still get that good recovery time. So I'd alternate it with your running. So if you are running day on, day off, you could do uh, one day hamstring, day two could be uh, run, then back to your hamstring exercise, run, etc. 
Obviously, as we progress along, this gets a little bit more complex because we're probably going to be running uh, a bit more frequently, which that is why you see a physio who can help you out and manage all of that. Now, phase two, we're feeling pretty good. We're ready to move on to some heavy, slow resistance. So essentially, we're going to take those isometric exercises and turn them into a movement version of that, which basically means a single leg long lever bridge where you're coming up and down. And I would start off pretty high reps. So anywhere between three rounds of 12 to 15. And then as we get a bit stronger, we're eventually going to start to bring that weight down or those reps down, sorry, but start adding some weight. So popping a dumbbell or a kettlebell on our hips to make those exercises a little bit harder. Now, my favorite exercise, as I said, that long lever hammy bridge working towards a single leg version. We can also do that with the leg up on a box. So an elevated version of that. Uh, the next sort of more challenging one that I would love to get people working on is a hammy slide. Now, hammy slide basically means your heel is digging in to like a little, well, you can do it a few different ways. There's sliders at a gym, but if you're not familiar with that, basically a sock or like a cloth or a towel on a slippery surface, like tiles, you're going to dig your heel into that butt is up in the air and you're going to slide out really, really slowly. Now, when we think about how the hamstring works in running, it works by being engaged in an eccentric loading position. So this hammy slider is really a really specific exercise for when the hammy works as a runner. So a, a really awesome exercise and something that I'd sort of keep in um, even towards that end stage rehab. Now, it may not look exactly like this when I say you're going to keep it into end stage rehab. I mean, you're going to keep in an eccentric loaded exercise to end stage rehab. So, you know, the first one of that is on some sort of slider or what we can also do it on a Swiss ball where you're up on one of those big round um, rubber balls that are inflated and digging your heels, hips up and just lengthening out and in. Um, yeah, that's the hammy curl or the hammy slides. And then the next one that I think would be really helpful is a single leg Romanian deadlift, which in a standing position, basically one foot forward, one foot a little bit back, knees are slightly soft, hinging through your hips. And you're basically just reaching down towards your toes and then staying up tall. So this position is often quite aggravating for that hamstring. And as you know, I said that that hinging forward stuff often is aggravating because it compresses that tendon. But it is important to start exposing the tendon to the aggravating activity as long as that is within that pain that is acceptable. So ones, twos, and threes. All right. So once we've loaded up those exercises, we're feeling really good. We've been doing them for a couple of days. This period might last for like, you know, between week two and week six. Like it could be quite a bit of period where we're just building weight, building weight, building weight. Um, you know, I'd be aiming to do like a single leg long lever bridge with something like 15, 20, 25 kilos on your hips, like quite a bit of weight. Um, and we're getting, you know, minimal to no pain. We're not getting symptoms flaring up the next day. Then we know that we're pretty ready to move on to more functional type exercises and then even on to some energy storage and release exercises. So functional stuff is going to be our, our lunging and our squats. And in particular, trying to get into some deeper lunges and some deeper squats. Now, one way I like to do this with the lunge is actually with my foot up on a box or on a weight plate. And then sitting back into a really nice deep lunge. Uh, squatting, you can basically just sit nice and low in your squat. Now, I said plyometrics and I said energy storage and release. The role of a tendon, so obviously not the hamstring role is, but tendons actually are a storing and releasing of energy type 
tissue, which means that they need to be trained in a quite fast manner in order to sort of reach their top level capacity. So once we're ready for this, we want to start adding in some movements with speed. Now, this can look a few different ways. I would like to start it off initially in a movement that you're quite familiar with. So if you've been doing Romanian deadlifts, now I've given you heaps of exercises. If you see a physio, they're probably not going to give you that many. And that doesn't mean that that's wrong. It just means that they are really individualizing your program. And personally, I don't normally give people much more than three, maybe four exercises because I mean, firstly, people aren't going to do that many. Uh, But secondly, I just don't think it's essential. Like you don't need to spend all day doing your rehab. Um, You should be able to get it done 30 to 40 minutes. And it's, if we sort of pick the right exercises, then, you know, we can get a lot of gains from just that sort of three to four exercises. But anyway, if we've been doing Romanian deadlifts, that's a really nice place to start adding a bit of speed and power. And with this movement, basically what I do is I'd come down nice and controlled and then I'd try and stand up as fast as I can. So essentially it's like a power RDL or a fast RDL. Uh, other ways we can do this is things like kettlebell swings, um, skipping, bounding, like jumping forward. Uh, another one of my favorite ones is the tantrum, which is basically um, your legs are out pretty long and you're sort of going out into like a long lever bridge position. And then you're digging your heels into the ground and you're lifting one up, followed by the other one, followed by the other one. And you're trying to rapidly lift your heels or your legs up off the ground and sort of whack them into the ground quite rapidly. Um, with these sort of speed exercises, We're aiming for intensity, not volume. So I'd be aiming for, depending on the exercises, but four to six reps or like six to eight seconds of an effort, Um, like for the tantrums, six to eight seconds, like really super speedy and fast, kettlebell swings, four to six reps, um, RDLs, four to six reps, going as hard and fast as we can, and then having a nice extended break. Okay, Uh, so that is sort of all your gym based stuff. Once we've done a really good job at that. And again, if you have a physio, they're going to be able to walk you through that and, you know, really individualize and make sure we're targeting the things that are specific to you. So, you know, you might have had um, some core weakness, some adductor weakness, some glute stuff going on. And so they're going to be able to tailor those exercises and work on any other sort of deficits in that whole sort of lower limb chain. Now, the best part of our rehab is when we can return to all our normal running. Now, over that 12-week mark or 12-week period, the idea is that we're just gradually increasing our volume little bit by little bit and trying to return it back to that pre-injury state. The last part of our rehab is going to be returning to those aggravating things like speed and heels. Now, ideally, we try and weave this in uh sort of in that mid to later stage. So it doesn't just randomly pop up at the end. We don't get to 12 weeks and suddenly go, all right, now we're going to go fast or now we're going to do heels. We're going to start slowly introducing it. And again, this is individualized. So actually seeking a professional who can help you with this is going to be really important because they're going to be able to know when you're ready for that. They're going to start you off on some drills to prepare you for the speed, to prepare you for the heel, see how you handle that, check in with the pain the next day. Um, Make sure you've got the right strength to perform speed. They're going to have a look at that whole kinetic chain uh, and then gradually weave it into your training from there. Um, So really important to have an individualized approach and actually seek professional guidance. Uh, Now, we have a few listener questions. So (laughs) a few things. Um, Bryce, thank you so much for messaging in. You said, such a pain in the bum, this injury. Would you avoid running heels as much as possible? Now, 
Very timely because I just mentioned that. Now, with the heel running, we don't actually want to avoid them as much as possible because with any tendon injury, we never want to completely remove all the load because if we completely remove the load, we reduce our capacity to handle that. So what I would try and do is if we're in that acute stage when it's really angry and fled up, we need to try and reduce as much heels so that we can get that pain to that one, two, or three. But if you can get that pain to one, two, or three with doing a moderate amount of heels and you're not getting any spiking of your pain the next day, then that's totally fine. Because if your goal is to be able to run on heels eventually, which, you know, it's nice to be able to have that variety, then you definitely don't want to just completely rule them out, wait for your hip to get better, and then add them back in because basically you're going to have decreased your capacity and your tolerance completely to heels. And then you're going to come back into it and you're going to end up in more pain. So you're basically going to start all over again. Uh, Luke from Evolve uh, Performance said, is this the most annoying tendinopathy ever? Yes. <laughs> um, and you answer that yourself. You said yes. Um, I appreciate you messaging that in. Uh, yeah, well, I guess I haven't personally had a true tendinopathy, but obviously having a proximal hamstring tear has a lot of similarities and I've definitely dealt with the pain on City. And so I would say it's been... Definitely a lot more annoying than I gave it credit for. Like when people had told me previously, like it's painful to sit down. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds annoying. But like, yeah, just stand up. But it is a pain because, you know, there's a lot of things in your daily life that involve sitting down. And sometimes it's really hard to evolve, uh, evolve it, um, avoid it. So even like, you know, over the weekend, I went away camping and I was driving heaps. And so, you know, that pissed it off. And then I <laughs> went to a show and I was sitting down at a show for a few hours when I got home. So little things like that can really flare it up. So I would say it definitely is up there and one of the most annoying tendinopathies. Uh, now, our question from Sota, really great detailed question. And uh, Sota said, now, since all hamstrings are attached to the issue of tuberosity, how do people sit without pain? Since tendons hurt... Uh, more when they aren't in much use I can imagine it would be a fun time or wouldn't be a fun time sitting down so uh, we have covered a lot of this and yes that's true Uh, when the tendon is lengthened and when it is cold it's not going to be super happy and when it's compressed it's also not going to be super happy so unfortunately it really is a terrible combo for that poor hammy tendon when we do sit down and it is just quite a unique position that sitting lengthens it and compresses it and it's cold because you're not in much use so I think that is probably one of the reasons why it can take so long to fully settle it but the good news is with the right sort of individualized approach and a really good assessment a really clear diagnosis and really clear understanding of why you've got the injury we can definitely settle those symptoms uh, reduce the load and then improve your capacity and get you running back doing all the things Uh, although that sitting is frequently the last sort of thing that does reduce in pain and often people do have a little pain in the butt which hangs around for quite some time Uh, but what we're hoping is that you are able to manage that and monitor it by you know using a towel under your bottom um, getting up for regular breaks and then also just thinking about Uh, ways that you can not sit if you've done a big uh, bout of running. Now, as always, I try and keep my episodes super short and concise. And I always say I'm going to go for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then it gets to 46 minutes and I'm still chatting. Um, Thank you so much, guys, for listening today. So, you know, we've obviously covered what the hamstring anatomy is, what the hamstring tendinopathy is, some ways to diagnose, the importance of individualized care, and 
how we can deload, ways to manage that, and then some of the specific exercise that you can actually do at the gym. So heaps of information here, and I know that you have taken so much value out of this, and I'm really keen to hear how you actually put it into practice. Uh, if you have any questions specifically on the hammy tendon or even just around tendon management in general, or even any injuries, um, you can reach out, you can send us an email, you can send us an Instagram DM, or you can book in to see me at the running room with a discount code strongestride for 50% off. Um, and as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Feel free to rate the show, uh, share the podcast on your Instagram, and tell a friend about how much you got out of this episode because we really love sharing information and we really really appreciate your support so thank you so much guys for listening and happy running